Hey crew, welcome back to another episode of The Skipper Report. I am super stoked for this episode because on this episode, I sit down with Bob Mazzari. This is part one of two, which the second one will occur in April after the ski season. Bob and I sit down and talk about his life in the ski industry and how it got started from a young 14-year-old in Los Angeles, learning how to ski in the San Bernardino Mountains, and how he expanded his horizons. And I tell you, man, he expanded his horizons. So I'm not going to take much away from the story, because Bob is a great storyteller. So uh, grab yourself a beverage, because this is a little longer one than the usual. And uh, get a nice chair and put on some headphones or whatever and uh, kick back and uh, enjoy this episode. This is just vocal, right? It's not like... Yeah, yeah, it's just vocal. Yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. I don't know. My wife, uh, she says, oh, yeah, you get on Spotify and YouTube and make us a million dollars. I was like, yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, so were you out skiing today? One step at a time. Yeah. (laughs) So were you out skiing today? No, I was no, no, I was, I was uh, no, no. It's it's only open on the weekends. Oh, that sucks. At the moment, until uh, it starts, it's right. just, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just uh, whatever. Saturday, Sunday. Right. So I'm looking forward to Saturday. Go up, and it's just a very limited run. They have open here in Verbier, Switzerland, and uh, but it's good enough, you know. I'm just happy to be on skis and to be. How about you? Yeah. When are you guys? Oh, what's that? I lost you there. Cheers, by the way. I see you like low and brow. <laughs> yeah, I got. I got have this one. It's. A, I like the craft beers up here. It's a lager. Excellent. Yeah, a mill lager. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm just waiting for snow. It's it's snowing at my cottage. Um, Jay Peak is almost open. That's the closest really. How big far hill. is Jay Peak from you, man? Uh, Tell me. From the cottage, it's a leisurely fifty five minute drive. But you live in Canada, Jade Peaks in Vermont, Vermont correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 55 minutes. You have to do a border crossing to get there. Is yes. that a hassle? No, not unless you're a criminal. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. No, even even now with the COVID, what's happening? Oh, I, I, yeah, I don't. Uh, so the border's just open and uh, maybe a week or so now. And uh, to return to Canada, you have to have a negative PCR test. And so it's easy to go from Canada to the U.S., yeah. but not the other way around? Yeah. 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 So, Which yeah. is kind of dumb because, like, say, for example, if you live in uh, Niagara Falls, Canada, and you want to go watch the Buffalo right. Bills play football, you have to have a negative PCR test three days before mm-hmm. you return. So you get it in Canada, you travel to Buffalo, you sit with, like, 60,000, 80,000 people, you might get something but your PCR test was negative before you left, and then you bring it back. It's it's like, so I think they're they lifted that yesterday. That's, that's the border you cross, the one right by Niagara Falls. No, I cross. Uh, my cottage is south east of Montreal, mm-hmm. and okay. um, yeah, and uh, I I'm originally from Montreal, so we had that cottage there, and um, no, because I've been I've been I've been kind of following that it's not easy to it's not you can't get into canada you know with this COVID. yeah being in 
and uh, you know it was it was more kind of the West Coast, you know, guys in um, Oregon, Washington, trying to yeah go skiing and and whatever yeah, and uh, it, like they they it's a total it's been a total shutdown yeah boom yeah. shut down yeah you guys are not doing things correctly so we are gonna. <laughs> And I agree with that. Jesus Christ, you know, it's a it's a bit of um excuse my language, shit show. Oh yeah, exactly. America. Yeah. It just uh and why I was asking about that because uh, yeah, it's it so it was like, okay, for you as a Canadian to to go to Jay Peak across the border sounds like okay, uh, they let you in. But to come back Yeah. I think they check a little they're a little bit more strict. Yeah, so I think they've lifted that requirement as of yesterday. So if you're going down for what they call a short trip, less than three days, uh, you don't mm-hmm. need a PCR test. So yeah. so what's happening is um, uh, John Faulkner, Gary Bigham, and I were, were scheduled to be playing at the Free Healer European opening right. in two weeks in Austria, it Hintertux, Austria. Yes. But it's since, uh, you know, this is, um, it was canceled last right. beginning of December, November, end of November because of the COVID and we were all pumped. We are all pumped, ready to go, but it's, uh, taken a big downturn. It's, um, not looking good. Yeah. I was just looking at the news and in Germany, it's a huge spike in, Angela Merkel's on her way out, and, and right. she was she she was writing that it's just uh, the fourth wave is coming in yep. hard, like full on. And in Austria, they just this this is news from today, right. Thursday, the uh, whatever the date is today, eighteenth. <laughs> that yes, exactly. So that um, Vienna is shut down for people who have the vaccine and for the unvaccinated, both. Right. And surrounding area from uh, Vienna. Right. It, it's like like it was when COVID first started, whatever, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like, you know, the population density of Europe is insane. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and when this was all when this was all happening, and my, the listeners will know because they've heard me talk about this before, my wife is a public health nurse. She retired, and she ran – the communicable disease and control unit for her health unit. So this sort of mm-hmm. stuff, epidemics and all that sort of stuff, you know, SARS, H1N1, you know, all that stuff was her specialty. And uh, so they've asked her to come back to work. And so she works three days a week. And when this first all happened, I was like, Italy was on meltdown. And I said, Two years ago. yeah. And I was so like, whatever. I wonder what the population of, De- of, of Italy is. <clears throat> And it's like 54 people per square mile. So I was like, okay, what's U.S. like? It's the same. Then I checked Britain, 400 people per square mile. And yeah. then in Canada, we have four. Mm. So it's, and, and like I live out in the country, and it's like I tell f- neighbors who have family who come from the city, it's like, dude, we don't want your family here. Like that's, you know, <laughs> stay in the city. Don't come out to the clean air. <laughs> So, so, so the thing is, we, you know, we, so we're going to decide in the next day or two whether, number one, the, the, the FEO, the Free Healer European yep. Opener is going to happen at Hintertux, uh, like scheduled, or um, it's going to be canceled. I don't know. Right. I, I, it's really, 
uh, not looking all that good. And uh, when I, you know, we're, and, and, and here in Switzerland, it's a little bit um, in between. Um, we were open all last season. Right. Like kind of normal, except for we had to wear masks, um, riding all the lifts. And, and whereas Italy was completely closed. Right. And France was completely closed. And, uh, you know, we're talking two countries that are not far away uh, yeah. from where I live. Switzerland, Italy is, whatever, 40 minutes away. France is uh, one hour away by car. Right. And it's right where the three countries come together. Yes. So three different scenarios. You know, it's like what you're talking about. You know, it's like uh, in Europe, especially in my area, it's it's all very uh, close by. Right. Everything is close by. Yeah. Each other. But, uh, and Austria, you know, Austria is not far, but, and to have all di- different kind of rules and it's complicated, man. It's, and it's not, and here, here's the thing though, to me, is um, the German speaking parts of Europe are the lowest vaccinated, is what I just read. Oh, really? It's, uh, yeah, Austria is uh, 65%, Germany 65%. Uh, the Swiss-speaking uh, part of Switzerland, kind of the same, 60-something, whatever. And uh, that's where we're having problems. Yeah. Now, yeah. contrast that to, con- no, contrast that to, listen to this, it's it's just insane. Um, Spain and Portugal are 95-plus percent yes. vaccinated. Yeah. They're having no problems at all yeah. now. Yeah, we're, I think in Canada, we're like 82% uh, fully vaccinated. Mm. Yeah. And, and like up in the 90s with at least one shot. So, yeah. So, so okay. So, we're talking about COVID, and I don't want to dwell on this whole COVID. Yeah. Because this is what we're <laughs> talking about. It. No, no, but it, but in the sense that uh, in Iskiria, um, it, it affects a lot of things. You know, this is, uh, I live in Iskiria. Yeah. In Switzerland. The, one of the most famous skiers in Switzerland. And so this kind of thing um, takes its toll. It know? does. And, and it's been uh, harsh for all of, it's been, you know, two years. Yeah. And so we're all um, anxious about what's going to happen. Well, in, in Ontario, the, uh, the government had the ski resorts uh, develop their protocols according to some mm-hmm. guidelines. And it's like, you know, you have to show up, you make an appointment, sort of, you book your time to go skiing. Uh, you don't use the chalet except to pee, um, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And then, so, you know, they were kind of get going, getting started. And then all of a sudden, last December, the government just shut everybody down. Like, they just got going. Like, they slammed everybody. And then uh, my wife has family, my wife's from northwestern Ontario, which is 17 mm-hmm. hours away from us, same province. Mm-hmm. They didn't have many cases up there at one point, and they're subjected to the same lockdown rules as Toronto is. You know, they might have one or two cases or hospitalized or ICU cases in 160,000 people in the city of Thunder Bay, and yet they're all locked down. You can't go skiing. You can't go skating. You know, so. So general Ontario rule. That does that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the government uh, has learned this time, coming into this year, that there are regional 
applications of lockdowns if need. Anyway, the whole thing, the whole thing kind of blows, you know, yeah. it's really, honestly, to, to put an end to this part of this uh, podcast is that uh, we have to think, this is what I think. We have to be more like Portugal and Spain and just, yep. you know, go get vaccinated and that's it. It's as simple. It, otherwise we're going to be, we're going to be going around in circles for the next three years yeah. or four years. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Exactly. All right. So to get on that. to the skiing stuff, uh, the listeners. I want to go, go ski. No, wait. I want to go ski Portugal because oh. you can ski. In. Really? Uh, you know, yes. I, I, I have a bucket list uh, as a skier. And before I get there, I'll just, you know, quickly introduce <laughs> you. I have Bob Mazare on the Skippy Report today. <laughs> and uh, Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, it's pronounced Missouri. Oh, anyway, sorry. Missouri. You know what? I listened to the guys, even like Josh on his podcast, he, he, uh, mispronounces your name too. So I'll, uh, I'll, uh, which Josh are we talking Josh about? Josh Madsen, Free Hill Life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was, it's a per. uh, yeah, it's not Italian or it's Persian and they, they mispronounce it here in, in Switzerland too. So uh, can Mazzari. you, re- when, when you, when you, when you pronounce it in French, it's Mazzarai. Mazzarai. No, they, they, yeah, they say stuff like But it's Mazzari anyway. Okay. Voila. Mazzari. Awesome. Matter. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, uh, who are you, Bob? The, I don't know. I know I know you as a, a, a sliding down the hill on snow aficionado. Have a long history. Am, have a long history in snow I, sports. I fell in love with skiing the first time I went, I had a friend who took me. Um, so I grew up in Los Angeles and we have these mountains by Los Angeles, um, the San Gabriel mountains and the San Bernardino mountains that surround LA, Los Angeles. Right. Kind of a trip, you know? And so when I was young, I don't know, uh, 14, we, my buddy Greg Lemon and I drove up highway two that winds through the san gabriel mountains and we were a bunch of stoner kids and and we were doing bone loads and we cruised through and and we came up on this ski there was snow everywhere and and we came up and we saw this skier he was a skier you know it's like okay i don't know i i only knew you know i i saw skiing on disney films right you know, when it would rain in high in junior high school, they would uh, put us into um, the auditorium and they would put on a film and there would be some like ski film. I don't know, right. whatever. We, we would all be cross-legged on the floor. I didn't know what it was. I had no <laughs> idea. Anyway, so I saw this. We we came around the corner, and this guy was like on this steep slope, and I said to my buddy Greg, I said, "How come that guy?" What's going on? How come he's not falling down that slope? And it was because, uh, now I know, he was sideways and he was on his edges. Right. And it was like, wow, what a trip. We're watching from the highway. <laughs> like, what the... So two years later, I was 16. When I can, in Los Angeles, you can drive at 16. And my buddy, Mike Sullivan, said, I'm going to take you skiing. I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, it's the best thing ever. You know, it's we're 16. I was already surfing at that time. 
And um, so I was, of course, yes. So he pulled some skis out of his rafters. He, he was a skier already. Rusted ski, rusted edges, whatever. <laughs> he had the equipment. And so we went to this place called Mount Waterman in uh, the San Gabriel Mountains. It's an amazing place. The first place Warren Miller ever skied. Oh, no too. way. Oh, of course. Very cool. The venerable Warren Miller. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we started partying. We went to the ski area. You know, it was just a laugh for me, whatever. It was yeah. something to do, right? And I still had that little vision of that guy who didn't fall down the hill sideways from two years before. I had never even saw, seen snow until I was 14 years old. It's the first time I ever saw snow. Right. And, <laughs> and then we went and... Uh, Mount Waterman's got one main lift, and it's very steep, actually. And there's a couple of It's kind of backwards. It's kind of upside down. The, the beginner part is at the top, and the uh, expert part is <laughs> the main part is at the bottom. And it really literally drops right to the parking lot in the San Gabriel Mountains. And, uh, and so we were a little bit buzzed, whatever. And uh, for a first run, he showed me how to put skis on, Mike Sullivan. <laughs> And we went up, and no less. And he, he said, "Okay, you, here you get off." <laughs> Literally, my first run, I fell. I don't know. It was a powder day, luckily, and I fell. I don't know, hundred times before I got to the bottom. Right. First run ever. Luckily, it was powder, so I, I was able to whatever laugh and stop, and and, and I fell in love. Nice. From that first run, it was like. It changed my life, you know. Right on. I, because I, 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 I was able to do a couple of turns here and there, you know, yeah. and, and I saw the potential. It was amazing, man. Amazing, That's awesome. And and still, Waterman is one of my favorite places. Amazing place. Yeah, and uh, nowadays, uh, so this was nineteen seventy eight. I was, you know, 16 years old. I was it. So they used to get a lot more snow back then. It's right. not as consistent nowadays in the year 2020, 2021. Uh, they still get snow, but it's not like it was back then, huh? Right. Yeah. How that's... about you? When did you learn how to ski? Uh, how old were you? I've always cross country skied. Like so, your parents were skiers, and they uh, no, not really, skiers. not really. <laughs> yeah, no. My my mom was born in England just after the war, and immigrated here. No yep, yep. My uh, both my grandfathers are Canadian soldiers, and they met war brides over there and brought them to Canada. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, my dad was uh, he was kind of outdoors oriented, I guess. You know, he was when he was young, he was scouts and did all sorts of stuff. But I, I would say I'm the real mm-hmm. outdoor enthusiast of the family i i just live for the outdoors and uh we started uh snowshoeing as a family on you know back then limited income we didn't even have a car till i was nine years old and uh and living in montreal that's okay because it's like a european city and everybody gets around by bicycle and that's what i did all my life and then at some point uh we graduated to cross-country skis and I really enjoyed that. Was n- never really into alpine, like downhill skiing, alpine uh, turns. 
Um, and then uh, the whole family, you guys were just, uh, it was all just cross country skiing. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and lit and lift surf skiing was not even, you guys didn't even talk about that. No, we didn't. Nope. Nope. We would go to this one place and it wasn't until I was an adult that I knew that the other side of the mountain had a ski resort on it. We were on the Nordic side of the mountain. Okay. Yeah. So they had, what's the name of this place? Oh, it's a wait, little, wait, it's, it's a little tiny mountain was an island millions of years ago, uh, just mm-hmm. outside of Montreal called uh, Mont Saint Bruno. So there's a, mm-hmm. a convent or a monastery there, and the the nuns and the monks allowed the people like they developed the trail system and that sort of stuff way back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so and then when I moved here in 1977 to Ontario, it's like, hey, you guys have cross country ski trails? They're like, what's that? <laughs> so it was a lot of bushwhacking and setting my own trails and stuff so it wasn't until so wait no, no, let me ask you a question though okay all right so you're setting up so later on did your family start going downhill skiing uh my sister my sister and i did but i wasn't a bright kid and i wanted to go to university so i needed to uh not get too injured because I played uh, basketball in university. Uh, my sister continued to ski, and um, it wasn't until I met my wife I got into alpine skiing, and then I saw a telemarker in Mont Tremblant. Well, your mom and dad and you, the whole family, were cross-country skiing. And yep. Yeah, yeah. On the Nordic skis. Yeah, my mom was never a downhill skier. My dad, he was uh, the sales rep... No, the sales manager and the head buyer for a, a store up here in Canada, which is like the competitor for Sears. And mm. uh, he would go over to the ski show in Germany uh, every year. And everybody said, what do you mean you don't ski, Dennis? They didn't believe him. So they took him to the Castinger and Blizzard and got him all set up and took him out to Zellumzee and left him there. And he had to find his own way down. <laughs> That's what? a beautiful area, by the way. Oh, is Amazing it? Amazing area. Is it? Yeah, I was there. I was there with my wife um, and my son Sam um, uh, three years ago. Oh yeah, it's Austria. It's in. We were skiing at the um, the Kitzsteinhorn Glacier. Okay. Uh, it's it's overlooking uh, Zellamsee. We just mentioned about yeah. your pops. Yeah. And, so. Oh my God. But uh, yeah, I just. That I've always been an outdoor enthusiast, and I was like, yeah, I saw these Telemark skiers at Mont Tremblant, and uh, got into it that way. Taught myself, and okay, I got to ask you a question. So I think um, I might be answering my own question. I think Mont Tremblant is a huge hotbed of Telemark skier area. Yeah, it is. There's like tons of Telemark skiers there. There are. Yep. Yeah, they even had this wicked uh, patrol. Uh, that were all on Telemark, and you can find some yeah. of their videos on YouTube still. Yeah, they were. I don't know if they yeah. were called like the Blue videos Angels or something. It, it's a huge. It seems like there's a big scene there. Of, there uh, is people rip on telly skis there. Yeah, 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 for sure. And uh, and New England also. So I, I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time skiing down in New England and that sort of. Well, Jay Peak, you said it's not far from you. Nope. You. And yeah, Sunday River. Is that your normal, that that? Your normal spot? Uh, it has been until uh, lately. We ski at a small mountain. It's 2,500 vertical feet uh, called Owl's mm-hmm. Head, but it's like 20 minutes from Jay Peak. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's and the only reason why I go there, they have a, an insane deal. $99 for a midweek pass that allows you to buy uh, adult and children passes on weekends for minimum 50% off, sometimes more than that. So it's like 99 bucks for the season, you know. But we still right, like So wait, you, you so you pay that $99 and then it allows you to have a half price uh, ski pass anytime you show up. Uh, well, the half price is just on the weekends. During Monday to Thursday, we just show our ticket and we go skiing. No, because uh, the reason I'm asking this is because of um, uh, the news we uh, you hear on Facebook. Right. On oh, yeah. The, the latest being uh, the daily pass for steamboat is $265 yeah. a day. It's it's $265 crazy. a day. And and then there's people they say, oh yeah, but you just buy the your pass, your epic pass or the icon pass. Yeah, but that's not how you attract new skiers, is that's, it? That's that's a right. new skier is gonna come and buy a day pass to check it out. Yeah. But when it's two hundred sixty five or it's me, I'm traveling through. Yeah. I'm coming from Switzerland, whatever, coming from Europe. And I'm traveling through. I'm skiing one day here, one day there, and yep. then for a week, and then I'm flying home. Yeah. But when you walk up, you get up to the window, and they and they say, "Oh, it's two hundred sixty-five dollars." I know, I know, it's crazy. Like, for so if there's my wife and I, we both have the same pass on American uh, President's Day weekend. I guess we have a thing called Family Day weekend, and so my cousin came with her girls and. You know, we can buy all sorts of tickets for people who, you know, we buy them for ourselves and buy them for them at 50% off. So, you know, they can, Kim and her two girls spent less than $100 for their three lift tickets. Yeah. See, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you know, skiing, skiing, if you need to be inclusive, you know, and these, I don't know, these icon epic you know and i said i said this five six years ago and people were saying oh yeah but it's great you know it's uh i'm getting my icon pass for six hundred dollars and i can ski 50 different skiers whatever it is whatever it was and uh it's like yeah but you're gonna see big lines and now they have the the skip the line feature right you pay 50 bucks yeah exactly so this whole yeah whole in America is I'm just looking at it from over here okay I, I, and, I, and it just looks it just doesn't look that all like nice to me at all yeah that and we we have the same optics like, a little closer than you are presently <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah well because I'm you know but, well because here in Switzerland yeah. I don't know I don't wait in lines yeah we just walk into the I walk in and get on the lift you yeah. know and they're they're in uh, the mid station where there is a line. They just put a new lift, right? You know, ten person lift. So that line, even though it was out the door, that that used to mean only ten minutes or fifteen minutes. Now it's going to be two minutes. Right. I don't know. Right. You know, and and we don't, and and we're not dealing with um, this system of, I don't know, man. It's just not. It looks like uh, they're shooting themselves in the in the foot. Corporate loves to have the money ahead of time, right? Um, 
paying their money way before November start, December yep. start. And, and it's, uh, so I, I see their point. Our, where I bought our but, ski pass last year because of yeah. COVID and everything being locked down, it was only 99 bucks. I didn't care <laughs> if they had their money, but my sister says, well, we should give them a call. And you know what? They happily, they would happily defer it to this year or refund the money, whatever you wanted. I was like, wow, yeah, you know what? Like, that's perfect. I don't know. So, so, so the, so the point being was, uh, I, I remember I was, uh, a good friend of mine in Colorado, he was saying, oh, you know, but it's like this, and Bob, you don't understand. Okay. And then as four seasons went along, and, you know, we're in the age of Facebook, so I see these pictures uh, as they're happening. Right. Of these gigantic lift lines. Oh. And not, and lately, not just Saturday and Sunday, it's uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah. It's like during the week, you know? Yeah. And it's like... Uh, like a place, okay, a place that I used to ski a lot, frequent a lot, and a lot of my best friends would get because I'm from Los Angeles. Is Mammoth Mountain, right? You know, this place gets packed nowadays. I, I bet because passes. Yeah, and you know, it's like is it, to me, it's like I would rather pay my regular thirteen hundred dollar season pass and have less people, right, than yeah. pay. $600 or $700 and have a million and have to wait in line right on a Wednesday or yeah. a Thursday or a Friday. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I know. You know, there's this great little hill in Dixville Notch, New Hampshire, and we go by yeah. it on the way to Sunday River or uh, Sugarloaf and um mm-hmm. it's attached to a hotel. It's called the uh, the Balsam's Wilderness. It's like little Switzerland of New Hampshire they call it. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's an all inclusive hotel. You can go dog sledding, snowshoeing, whatever you want to do. And they do have a nice little mountain to ski. It's serviced by one chair. There's about 20 runs for, and lots of, lots of variety for different skill levels. And if you know what to do, you stop in the little town of Colebrook, you buy something and you're on the back of the receipt tape, there's two for one skiing. So you get your whole family skiing for fifty bucks, and they can. This is the way, man. That's right, and and they consider it busy when there's only twenty five cars in the parking lot. How like, far is this place from you? Uh, from the cottage, it's less than an hour. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. See, this is I don't know, man. This is what I'm. I don't know. From what I see over here, it's it's becoming worse and worse with the big ski areas. Right. Uh, and then what you're talking about is the way forward. I don't know, man. This yeah. is the way. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, if you have a family of four and you want to go skiing. Yeah. I know that was like my, 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 my sister was an executive and so was her husband. And so they would get up, have a big breakfast. My sister, if she listens to this, she's going to shoot me. And she, you know, there's four of us. We go to JP. It costs us. 200 bucks for the day we got the first chair in the last chair man and my sister she'll mm-hmm. show up at 10 and she's done at two mm-hmm. it's like man if i'm paying 200 bucks we're getting you know there's an early ski bus and we're gonna get all our money's worth so yeah i don't know man it's just uh it seems like the whole scheme 
that started I don't know seven or eight years ago. Right. With these uh, is is to profit uh, is, is to help um, the corporation the, the shareholders yeah. make money. And, yeah. And they don't really, really care about the skiers, actually. Yeah. And then on top of that, what you mentioned earlier is these, uh, you can pay extra to yeah. go in the front of one. Yeah. Okay. So this is really, you know, this, um, yeah, it really bums me out. You know, I, I don't, it's just so, it's so bad. You well, know? you know what, that, that was the good thing about, uh, where we ski at Owl's Head. Uh, it was family run mom and pop up until about two, three years ago. Then they sold it to a bunch of local businessmen who uh, what the, the prices have not gone up that much and they really cater to the skier. So they've been under construction for a little bit and I'm sure COVID has helped them because they've been, you know, they weren't open and uh, they were able to do a lot of the construction and that sort of stuff. It's small, it's out of the way, which is why I like it because it's not busy. There's, I don't know. I don't think I've ever waited more than a minute in line. It's not a. It's not one of the corporate scares. It's not. And, uh, yeah. There's there's less and less um, the 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 mom and pop ski areas, the uh, the the skiers that are not involved with uh, the multi pass yeah scheme, are um, are becoming less and less, unfortunately. Right. But they're but they're the ones, and not only that. These skiers, a lot of them are where the best skiers ever in America came from. Right. You yeah. Know, they're like little skiers, you know. Some of the best uh, skiers, World Cup skiers, came from little areas like this. We need to embrace this. And and I don't know. I don't like the whole um, epic yeah. icon thing. Yeah. And, and it's just, I don't know. I think it's going to come to a boil. Yeah, I think yeah. it's already coming to a while. Yeah, and uh, like where do you where here do you, in Europe? Yeah, here in Europe, we we we're trying to avoid. We do have multi pass gear, but it's not the same kind of deal. Right. And and I'm I'm feel so glad that we don't. We're not going that way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, because uh, you you know what it is. I think actually is that people wouldn't stand for it here. No, you know, skiers would not say it would be a revolt. Yeah, if you had to wait in line for an hour, oh, whatever, there would be a fucking revolt. So I, excuse I, my line. I've been to Mad River Glen just to ride that single chair. There was like the last mm. uh, Dickey Hall uh, festival that they had there, and uh, yes. you know what? You got to wait in line for that single chair. You know, and there's nothing you can yeah. do well, about it. Well, that's a Mad River, and one it's one chair. You know? Yeah, I don't know. And that was at one of his festivals, correct? Yes. Yeah. North American. So do you know Dickie? Uh, I've met him a couple of times. Yep. So, yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. So uh, we were doing a story about him. Oh, are you? That's cool. Telemark and Telemark Journal. Yeah. And you know what? That was one of the other things I forgot to mention in in the beginning there that how uh, Josh Madsen has coined this term, the protectors of the turn, you know. So I kind of think you're you're a protector of the turn for what you're doing. So that that was a good segue into telemark. So how'd you go from uh, skiing, you know, outside of Los Angeles to uh, telemark? 
Um, That's a big jump. How did I I start telemarketing? Yeah. Um, So I was back in LA and I I plateaued. Oh, yeah. At my alpine skiing. All right. And this, and was, uh, it was still in Southern California. Mammoth was still uh, five hours away. And I didn't really, I hadn't really been to Mammoth at the time. And uh, so it was all like, uh, trying to get better. Yes. And, and I was kind of stuck. And, and I was in, at this plateau. And so I said, how, to myself, I said, how do I get better? How, how can I get out of this rut? And uh, I read some stuff about telemark. And I said, okay, I'm, you know, this is the way. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get some telemark skis. And I'm going to use this as a training tool right. to break out of this rut of where I'm at, this plateau I'm at, alpine skiing. Yep. So, I, so, I, so I went to this. At the time, there were stores you know, that sold stuff. It's not like nowadays. There's no um, uh, Nordic ski store in Thousand Oaks, California. Right. At the time where I got my first pair of skis, there was a store. In Thousand Oaks, California, <laughs> it, it, which is a uh, you know, it's like a there's it, the, the nearest skiing is hours away, right. I don't know, whatever. It, yep. it was like a it's like a and, and I went and I bought a, a kit. Yep. It included a kit. It included a pair of boots and the bindings and the skis, and um, I bought it and and I bought it to learn how to balance on my skis. Right. Because I thought that was that was the way that was my ticket out right. of the next plot to 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 to, get, to gain more knowledge, to gain more technique in alpine skiing, and then I went up my first day on these little tiny skis. They were Swallow TR Alpines. They had Merrill three pin bindings, and I have the boots which I still ski on today. I still they're right next to me actually. Cool. Boots, leather boots, ankle high. And uh, and then I went up to Mountain High, which is one of our Southern California ski areas. Yeah, and I went up with my buddy Fred Friday. He was on his alpine skis, and he was laughing at me. <laughs> and, and and we got off the lift, and I I have pictures from that first run actually, and I was like, you know, trying to, uh, I, I was trying to. I didn't know which foot was supposed to go forward and backwards. I didn't really know. Right. You know, and and then I had a book from um, Lido Tejada Flores called Backcountry Skiing. Yeah. Uh, it was a wilderness uh, press book. It was um, book. It was small. Right. Like you could fit it in your pocket. Yeah. So, so this is how I learned. I put that thing in my pocket. And after that first day with Fred, um, and I was like all over the place, but I could ski, you know, I, I could do yep. parallel turns yep. and I could, and, but I wasn't sure which foot forward and backwards. And I wasn't sure about the, the pole plants. Yeah. And, um, and so after that day, I, I came back every couple of three days living in Los Angeles, back to mountain high. Right. Using this book in my pocket, I, I, uh, just kept going like that. Yeah. And at the time, 
in Southern California, there were a few telemarketers around. There were around. Like, there was five people you would see around. Right. And, uh, and again, at this time, I was thinking, okay, this is just to help me to alpine ski. It was a tool. Right. I, I, I thought this was a tool. And then in 1987, I went to... Europe for the first time and uh, again it was I was an alpine skier you know? but I brought the Paratelli skis with me as well of course and, and you know whatever I was still thinking okay this is just a thing to help me whatever it's fun it, it, it was at the time was becoming more fun as I was going along but then it, during that season about half I spent the whole season, 1987, in Europe. Wow. Right? From January till April. I was, and it opened, you know, okay. It was weird because it was like the States. It was like Southern California. And then I learned about Mammoth. And I was like, wow, Mammoth is huge. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus Christ, it's not like. It's not like uh, Mount High. Right. The place is gigantic. And then I went to Squaw Valley. Again, the same kind of thing. And then I went to Jackson Hole. Right. And it was like, oh, my God, this is the Mecca. This is it. This is, oh, my God, this is even radder than, you know, and insane skiers everywhere, left and right. Right, yeah. And then in 1987, I graduated uh, university, and then I went to Europe for the, the season I mentioned earlier. Right. I had to go backwards a little bit there. <laughs> and uh, so, so, so here I find myself in Innsbruck in January 1987 uh, with my buddy Fred Friday. Two of us, two California. We were, like, totally wide-eyed. We're, like, <laughs> and... And then we're like, oh, my God, look, at we're in the Alps, you know? Right. And it was insane. There was no rules and no one. There were lifts going up every left side, right side, you know, and there's powder everywhere. Right. And no one hitting the powder. <clears throat> no, we were used to like, oh, my God, if you saw powder, okay, you better be there at 7.15 in the morning. Exactly. in line. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> here it's uh you know it was like whatever at noon and there was like powder right next to the t-bar like right next to the t-bar right no one like and it was like knee deep perfect powder <laughs> we didn't know we didn't know fred and i were like what the fuck man this is amazing <laughs> yeah. so so europe was a whole i don't know man it was like a whole uh eye-opening thing and so i imagine so so i'm just this wandu from los angeles right and uh so i was there from january to april that's whatever the whole season um in the alps and uh, i went to all the kind of the best places fred and i we went from innsbruck we did innsbruck and then san moritz and then Zermatt, wow. and then Verbier, and then um, then Fred left. At that point, Fred left 
to Hawaii, to the North Shore of Hawaii to go surfing. <laughs> and and so I continued by myself. And then I went to uh, Valdezir Teen. I went to Chamonix. Wow. Uh, and then at the end of the season, I... So in this in the meantime, so I'm alpine skiing, but I also had my tele blows little teleskis. Yep. And, and more and more, I started using those teleskis, my little leather boots, in the Alps. And it's like, hey, you know. And the more I did it, the more it became. The more, the less it became. I was training for alpine skiing. The more it became, I was just skiing. You know, right. and that's it. Yeah. And and I came back to Verbier. It was mid-April, and uh, I met John Faulkner, yep. and I met uh, Marco Shapiro, who was called the godfather of photography by Powder Magazine, and Ace Cavalli. And, and at this point, I'm back, and, I, and I'm skiing on these little skis. So how many telemarkers were in Verbier in 1987, April? There was, I don't know, 15? Right. And... and it, Three I just mentioned, and uh, that was it. And so we hooked up. I was just there. I was just some punk from California. I don't know, whatever. But they were so cool. The three of them, they were so cool that they were like took me. They just they were just cool. Whatever. You know, we were drinking beers in a barbecue at nighttime. You know, it was cold. The, the yep. sun was down, and and someone mentioned. Um, Ace mentioned he he said he said oh we're doing this the Otrut oh yeah we're doing the Otrut and, and we're gonna do it you know and we're gonna and we're gonna do it and uh, I said can I come with you and he said uh he said yeah it's gonna be a big group it's gonna be twenty of us right and I said can I come with you? and he said yeah sure no problem you know uh, okay here's a tentative date uh, you show up in Chamonix and we start. 1987 April. So 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 some time goes by, and uh, I get the message that it's starting. We're going to do it, and I was like, you know, I, I had been on my teleskis ten times, right? Something like that, and uh, so I show up in Grand Monte. I have no skins for the skis. Right. And Gary Bigham, uh, Ace made a phone call to Gary and said, hey, Gary, do you have some skins for this dude, Bob? He's coming with us. Yes, I have some skins. So I went and I had to, this is before Uber or uh, whatever. I'm hitchhiking everywhere. Right. You know? Yep. And, and, and so I get the skins and I show up at the parking lot and uh, we, I show up and instead of 20 people, it was just, it was just the four of us. It was wow. Faulkner, right? Um, Ace and Marco and me and okay let's go <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm like Jesus Christ in my head I'm like I'm with these three guys at the time you know Ace and John were in Potter Magazine right every issue and I'm just some wandu from I'm just some guy from <laughs> LA you know and they were so cool John was like okay John we get to the top of the lift and he goes, okay, we're starting. We're going to go down to the, um, this cabin, the start of the orchard. And he goes, just Bob, just 
follow, he goes, just follow behind because there's crevasses and stuff. He right. Said, just yeah. follow behind, follow my tracks. I'm like shaking my head. I'm like, yes, yes. It's like a puppy dog, you yeah. know, yeah. like listening to what they, all three of them said, like intense. Being a sponge, being a sponge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we went and skied down and, and we spent the night in the, in the hut at the bottom and then we went up and over the, the Col de Chardonnay the next day. It was insane, man. I don't know. It was, it was weird. It was, it was kind of, um, um, life-changing, I guess. It was, uh, everything I saw about skiing, everything I knew about skiing changed in those few days, really? actually. Yeah, because these guys were just living, you know, uh, John is Australian He's been, he had, he has been in Switzerland, well now for forty five years or something. I don't know, uh, but at the time, and, and Ace was from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, something like that. Right. And and he had ski bum, um, whatever for many years in Verbier, and Marco's from Toronto. Right. Godfather of ski, Mark Shapiro. And uh, and I saw something. Uh, that was um, that was affirm. It was. I just want to. It was just like this way of life these guys lived. Right. And they lived in this place in Klomban, above Verbier. And when I would pass by there, this is before we did this trip, over the Otrud. I'd pass by there, and oh, you know, you pop in, have a beer, and they're living these old chalets. And, and it was like, Jesus Christ, this place is like, in the way these guys live, you know, it was not just a ski bum as a ski bum working at, at you know, uh, working at the lift and loading people. Right. It was a ski bum as, as a way of life. Well, you know, I was like, just going to say, it sounded like you were, uh, uh, describing, uh, ski Shaolin monks. It was a little like that, huh? It yeah. really was. These guys were going out, and they would go uh, whatever. And, and it changed when they went from alpine skis to Hellemark skis. Right. Those guys I'm talking about. I'm talking about 1984. Right. And and they discovered that, that they could um, skin up stuff uh, with ultralight equipment. Right. And sure, it was hard to get down. Yeah. But when you did it correctly and you got better at it, the um, reward at yeah. the end you're skiing this knee deep powder and on these little skis and you get down and it's like, uh, the reward as, as opposed to, um, descending on Alpine skis is twice as good at least. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man. You, sure. you feel a lot more accomplished, you know? Yeah. And, and so this is the, the, where I landed. That's when they were in that whole scene and, uh, and it rubbed off and it changed me, man. It was gnarly. So I so I skied the first half of the Otrud with these guys, right? right? Just the four of us: uh, John, Marco, Ace, me. And uh, we did a first descent on tele skis. I fell down the thing. I did wasn't able to make. <laughs> I wasn't able to make the whole thing. Well, that's a, that's hard. that's a good way to describe because yeah. I say you know snow sliding, right? Because I see you on snowboard, tele, alpine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the story's in written in uh, it's it's written. John wrote the story in Telemark Journal, Volume Four, right? Volume Three, 
that you can order right now. We are doing volume four right now, which is going to be epic. You're going to love it. Right on. Uh, but anyway, it was it was a awesome time because it was still so new. Right. The whole telemark thing. Okay, telemark started back since uh, you know since whatever the 1800s. Yep. Sandre North. Uh, the second. Uh, the second coming started in Crested Butte, you know, with yeah. the guys, um, uh, Barkovic and then Dickie Hall in the East. Yeah. And, 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 and so, and then it started a little bit in Europe. Okay. It, it started, uh, just after in right. Europe and, and it started, uh, one of the spots was in, in combat with John and Ace Marco. And, uh, and and so it's rubbed on. So there was this kind of historical thing, right. also. Yeah. So so the whole uh, alpine skiing part at that time for me, it kind of went to the left field, you know. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what started out originally as me using telemark as a training tool, right? Changed to now I just want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> It was so goddamn challenging. Yeah. And that challenge was the crux of the biscuit, man. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. You know, and it was like, fuck. And and you chase it. You chase, you chase it. Yeah. I, think, I still I, chase I, it. I think everybody is like that. You know, they, they get hooked, right? It, that, that was like, I, I thought it was kind of cool seeing these guys and I got my gear and from a friend and thankfully somebody on telemark tips back in the day had a set of bumblebees because i got like size 31 feet and uh they uh you know they were very kind with uh their uh, gesture of the boots and i got the the uh the skis and the bindings as a gift and i went to my friend who you know sold them to us and it's like okay so how do the boots mesh with the and then i when she showed me i went to my local hill and I just kind of played around and it was just a, you know, learning curve. And it's still, I'm still on the learning curve after, I don't know how many years, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh yeah, that's a oh, real hook. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, what was that old, um, what was that old? It's an old saying, uh, don't be afraid to suck something new. Right. And, and, and so, so, like some years okay so many years went by i'm jumping around in stories and i started trying to telemark on uh, uh nordic skis right with no you know plastic there's no edges you know whatever there's no metal edges that's how i started and, experimenting with it <laughs> yeah you know it's weird you know yeah and, and and so 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 i started and it's like all of a sudden there's this whole new like i just said that statement don't be afraid to suck at something. That's right. And, and, and you know what? It helps you. You, you start doing that, go yeah. into the piece. It can't be icy. If it's icy, it's going to suck. You're going to yeah. slide on and slide on your head. But if the snow is correct, yeah. right, you, you could, you could, and you're on the lightest, literally the lightest equipment you can be on with skis, yeah. on skis. Yeah. And, and, but you could use the same technique that you already know. You have to focus really on the back foot. <laughs> I find my toes, my, my toes get exhausted because I still do a yeah. lot of Nordic skiing and I'll throw telemark turns in wherever I can. And 
Mm-hmm. You you feel your toes moving around and gripping your boots and yeah. Well, you're not in these. You're not in these leather. But you know, even yeah. in the old days when in the whatever snow pines or whatever boots we were on. Yeah, we're a whole different level here. Yes, but in the end, the the technique's the same. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and and uh, that's the beauty, man. It's so satisfying. It is. I. You know what I link. A, f- a friend of mine, when he sees me telemark, he's like, you know, telemark skiing is to skiing what fly fishing is to fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, you get that right cast. You Absolutely. Get, you don't have to have yes. a huge fish, and you get a great yeah. fight out of it on the fly line. Uh, yeah. Absolutely correct. Yeah. And, uh, yes, so it's that's a good analogy, actually, and I've heard that analogy before. i got to get back into it. <laughs> no, but, I have uh, to tell you, this has been a great story because one of my questions was, "What's your best story ever?" But it sounds like that oat root story and the exposure. That was, well, that that one changed because then we we finished. Um, so we, I fell down the the Tête Blanche. Uh, you can read about the story. John wrote the story in um, Telemark Journal, Volume Three. You can order and. Um, and John fell down three quarters of the way down. Ace made it all the way down without falling. We got pictures, and um, <laughs> it was insane. It was like insane. And um, so, like a week later, we we're back in in Verbier, and I was staying at Clomban. And John John had to go do a James Bond film. He was a stunt skier, right? And so he was gone. He was Bob stay here. So so I'm sitting in his uh, I'm alone in his chalet in Clomban. And he's got uh, a pack, a pile of clothing. There was a lot more money back then. I don't know, or a lot more. Uh, I don't know. It was it, so there was a pile in, with this. The room I was staying, there was a pile of clothing, um, uh, half the height of the ceiling. Wow. Uh, with all with labels, ski clothing, just in a pile. You know, right. they would just send you. Yeah, you know, to get pictures of, and it was like, geez, and I'm, and I'm just this Wandu from L.A., right? <laughs> and I'm like, fuck <laughs> these guys. <laughs> no, I went to Marco's uh, apartment in Place Centrale, and I walked, and and I walked into his apartment, and it was like a ski shop. Wow! In his apartment, he had skis lined up against one wall, like, um, yeah, thick. Like you'd see in a ski shop, yeah, on um, the different sizes. Wow, you know, and and it was it was all skis they sent him, you know, to 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 shoot photos with, you know, and yeah. and for me, a guy from LA to see this, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, and exactly. I couldn't believe. It. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know? Yeah. Nowadays, a little more difficult, you know, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was an eye-opening thing for me. Oh, uh, I bet. it was really trip, and. Bet. uh so I got back to, what was it? so I don't know where I was leading with this story. So, so, so it was in 1987. So I, I left them and I said goodbye to everyone in April of in 87. And I had to, now I had to go back um, to work for my father. Right. In downtown Los Angeles at his factory. That was, so it was like, at the time it was like, okay, that's, it was literally the f- best four months of my life. Right. Right. I had just spent in the Alps and it was like, uh, now I had to go back to real life. Right. 
and work in downtown Los Angeles. Yeah, you had your free time after university travel. Yeah, you know, and, you know and then reality is, sucks, right? <laughs> reality. And, and so that's what happened in 19. So it was from 1988 to 1991, I was working in downtown Los Angeles. Um, I had a second job at the Sports Chalet, which was a big chain sporting goods store. Um, and they had a very good um, mountain shop. Right. So, so it wasn't just basketballs and um, uh, treadmills. They, they, they had a mountain shop, and, uh, and they would sell the climbing gear. And, right. And there was a bunch of them. And, and, and so it was cool. It was like my second job. So I had a little bit of a release doing that job because I was in the mountain shop department. So I was working um, in the, my dad's textile factory. Right. And it was like, you know, textile business in downtown Los Angeles. It was gnarly. I don't know. It was, I did every department, color matching. We were weaving fabric. We were knitting fabric. It's not a good business, you know? Right. Uh, know. Uh, being the boss's yeah. kid, he makes sure you work in every department. And I, anyway, my dad didn't know anything about it. He just bought the business, right? He, Cause it was like a good investment, right? right? So this is what I studied in university. I, I, I studied textile. Oh, cool. I, textile merchandising and uh, this is what I studied you know because this is the field I was going to go into and, and and but it was gnarly and it was sucked right actually and people in the business sucked the, the people I had to deal with okay so I got back from Europe huh, in 87 so the people I had to all of a sudden I'm dealing with this stuff in downtown LA and it was just the worst just it's just not a good business since since that time that whole business has gone away right okay yeah because uh it was a dye house you know basically it was a so we dyed fabric and so dyeing it's not good for the environment because right. all that uh, the stuff would go in the drains and it would go out in the ocean so now all that stuff is in mexico right okay? the, the whole dye house industry in downtown lies is gone right okay since when i was there and plus, I, I like I said, I hated the people, and the, they were just backstabbing. It was I was so disillusioned, you know. I just wanted to go skiing, right? You know, I didn't want to. What this is bullshit, you know. And I saw this, I saw how life can be. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where life is just uh, where am I going to go skinning today? Right. Um, you know, look at maps, and, and okay, look at this area. This is beautiful. You know? This is, you know, I saw it. I saw it. I was there for, you know. Right. And, and it was like, and now I'm in L.A. And I'm like, this is. In the meantime, I'm skiing still, too, right? Right, yeah. Because we have our local L.A. skiers. I was working in the dye, sh dye house, my pop's dye house, five days a week. And the last year I was there before I left, uh, because Mountain High has night skiing. Right. They, they ski. They have lights on until 10 p.m. Um, I would leave every Wednesday without fail. I would leave at 3 p.m. And, and it would be two-hour drive to the parking lot in Mountain High. Wow. And I would and I'd put my skis on, my telly skis. Okay? Yeah. And then uh, I'd ski till 10 or 9.30 or 10 p.m. Yeah. And I'd be home at midnight. Yeah. I did that every Wednesday and every Friday. For a year, I ended up skiing that season 
working full time in downtown LA. I skied uh, 95 days. Oh, that's good because I tried the same thing and I only got to 78. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, and then, okay, so the, the, the whole textile industry started going kind of downhill. And then plus there was problems and, you know, it was, there was a bunch of shit. And then, so I, uh, I was, uh, I was gone from that business. And then I just kept going with, with, um, sport shall I? Right. And then in 1991, I just said, uh, it was gotten, there was a couple things that happened. There was a whole disillusionment with my father's business. And here's, I have to go back a little bit. There was uh, so much pressure, you know, at the, at the end, I was the vice president of the company. Right. And so that means I had to do payroll. I had to deal with the electric company because uh, a company like that uses a lot of energy. So yes. I had to like, yeah. show up at the Department of Water and Power and I had to renegotiate, okay, they want $80,000 that we owe. Uh, and then they want another $80,000, but we have to do payment plan. You know, this is shit yeah. I'm dealing with. You know, right. I, I just want to go skiing. You know, what the yeah. fuck? <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. it sucked, man. And so what does that, what does that make you do? You know, you, you start, you start drinking and you start doing drugs and right. just to, just to deal with getting to work the next day. Fuck. Right. Yeah. It was just not a good, uh, it was not a good pattern. The whole thing was not good. I just wanted this. So, so finally I got out of the dad thing. All right. And then I was just working at the sports chalet and thank God. But then it was like a weird time in California. It was 1991 and it was, um, I, I was just like, I just want to leave. Right. I don't want to stay here, man. I, I just don't course i'm going to miss my friends but i don't and it was also the time there was one thing that clicked with me it was it was kind of weird it was um it was right in the heyday of aids right if you remember yeah and i had a good friend and and he told me we were sitting there drinking beers and he he said fuck he said fuck beverly hills because that's where i was working sports show like beverly hills right he goes there's there's so many gays there and and you're going to catch AIDS. You can go into a subway and you'll, you'll catch subway. And because people are so ignorant back then you right. know, about how you catch AIDS. Yeah. And I said, I said, stop, man, you can't catch AIDS by going into a fucking subway. Right. You, you crazy <laughs> me. You know, it was like, and, and he was like, yeah. And I'm like, no, you can't stop with your bullshit. Right. And it was like, uh, it triggered me. Uh, it was really one of the, it was really that incident really was like people are stupid here. I don't know. This is stupid. Yeah. And, and I said, and I said, okay, I, I, I have to leave. Right. So I left. So I bought a one-way ticket uh, to Europe. Nice. And you've been there yeah, ever so since. I have. Yes. 1991. Wow. Very cool. Back then in 1991, an American, okay, so uh, it's not the same. It's not like that now. Back in 1991, um, as an American, you could work here in right. Switzerland. Yep. You could, you could work like anyone. You could come and, and your employer would say, okay, I need you. 
and I will hire you and I will, and they take care of the paperwork for you. Right. They, they, they would get your L permit. It's called an L permit that would allow you to stay for, um, till April, whatever the season, three months. Okay. And, uh, and what not? they would, you would sign a contract and what nowadays, no way. <laughs> There's just no way. Right. It, it just, uh, and why is that? The reason is because um, uh, America did the same thing. Back in 1993, 1994, the U.S. said um, for Swiss people to be in America to work, uh, okay, it's only three months. Uh, No, they said, no, we're stopping it. We're stopping it. And so Switzerland said, okay, well, we're stopping for Americans too. Okay. Reciprocal. Yeah. And uh, well, uh, you know, so I got in luckily at the right time, but I met my wife, uh, who's Swiss, um, within the first few days I was here. Right. She works in the post office, still does. And uh, I met her, and, and I saw her through the window, and, and I had my. Uh, when I first arrived, I was um, living in a tent. Didn't speak a word of English. Uh, speak a word of French, sorry. <laughs> and because uh, we're in the French speaking part, very bad. And uh, so I set up a tent, yep. you know, in the forest. And I was here in October of 1991 to, to I came early because I thought, okay, I'm going to get here first. I'm going to get the best job in very because I'm, I'm going to be the first one here. Right. <laughs> so, 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 so I set up a tent, and there's no, there's no flat places. I didn't realize. You know, <laughs> number one, you're not allowed to just put. You're not allowed to just put a tent anywhere. Right. You, you're not homestead. And, and number two, it's steep everywhere. God damn, it's the Alps. Right. And uh, so, so it took me a long time to find a place where I can put my tent. But I found, finally I found a place. I found it was steep, but there was like a butted up against a rock. Yeah. Just large enough to, um, I could set up my tent. Right. Behind it. No one could see it from the front. Right. Up in the forest. I had to walk up a couple of hundred meters to get to it. And so that was my home base for, for two weeks I was there. Wow. And... Uh, and then uh, my wife helped me. Well, she so I met. So all my stuff was in the post office, <laughs> and she would allow she would allow me to 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 come in. And she's like, "Who is this guy? Who's here in October? There was no one there. October in Verbia is a ghost town." Oh, really? Uh, there was, yeah. So I showed up early, but it was stupid because there's no one there. It's right. like everything's shut down. You know, I didn't know. I'm just some one dude from L.A. Anyway, so that's how it started. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about Telemark. Yes. Yeah, hey, well, we have been talking about Telemark, man. Um, yeah, or I don't know. I, I want to know your newest venture that you're doing with uh, Luca. It's the Telemark yes, Journal. So this, so the way it started was Luca a couple of uh, years ago, year year and a half ago. He he said, "Oh, I wanted. I have this idea. I'm going to do this book." Um, the Telemark Journal, and I said, okay, you know, Luke and I have known each other for a long time, did a lot of adventures with them, right? And did, 
He did Russia, Kazakhstan. The guy is he's one of my favorite skiers, person, right. people in the world. Yeah. And he's an amazing telemark skier. He's um, older than I am. He's an instructor, professional telemark instructor in Livigno, Italy. Okay. Livigno's a big hotbed. Um, Livigno's a huge hotbed of telemark in the Alps. Right. Okay. It's the home of uh, La Schieta, which is, if you follow Telemark, you probably know this name. Yes. It's one of the, Dickie, Dick, Dickie's uh, fest, festival, the NATO festival, yep. is the longest running, but he stopped, I don't know, some years back. Yeah, about four years, five years ago. And Livigno has been going on for 20 plus years, Right. And but it also stopped a few years back. Anyway. So, so Luca, so, so he sent me this thing. I said, yes, okay, okay, I'll help you. I don't know. And, uh, so we did the first volume, the first issue volume. And then it started from there and it's been snowballing. And I think what it is, is people have stories to tell. Yeah. Like you, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have very many telework stories. No, we need to no, we need a story from you for volume five is coming um, up for for next June. Oh, you know what? I, I think I just got an idea. I just, because I, uh, I was the secretary of Telemark Ski Ontario, but okay. everybody will tell you that I, I ran Telemark Ski Ontario and uh, we had a, okay. uh, a patron say, hey, if I front the money, would you be interested in buying Telemark gear and uh, teaching youth? Mm-hmm. So I could probably do a story about that and what it was like. And and it's all it's along this. You can do a story about that. Okay. But we need good partners. And uh, we want to look. The, what, so the whole project is about um, attracting everyone, every right. Telemarker. Yeah. Everyone's got a story. And as long as it's written fairly well. Yeah. You know, so what if you write the story, you go through it a couple of times. And uh, I used to I used it. to teach English. <laughs> yeah, why not? But you know what I mean. Whatever. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. We want the story, and 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 then sense drawings. Sure. If it's a. It doesn't have to be a story per se. It could be poetry. It could be right. whatever. Yeah, I yeah. Feel it could be a fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. And just just send it to us, okay? You know? yeah. And we will look at it, and we will put it in, and and uh, send good quality photographs. Yeah, we want to hear this because the thing about Telemark is um, there's a lot of different angles to it. For sure, it goes from um, people just skiing like I did uh, at the first time at Mountain High, yeah, in Southern California, learning how to Telemark ski, all the way to uh, expeditions. Yeah that are in the Himalaya and you're going up to 7,500 meters and you're with tents and you're there for two months. Oh, I've got a so friend I'm, I'm going to encourage. I have a friend I'm going to encourage to write you because he led, uh, he worked for mm-hmm. Outward Bound and he led a mm-hmm. telemark expedition in Siberia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, uh, exactly. That's what we want. Yeah. You know, so we want, we want both. We want <laughs> a story from your buddy from Siberia. Yeah. Absolutely. All the way to um, uh, uh, an instructor teaching kids yep. how to telemark. Well, these are the stories we want. We yep. want the whole spectrum of telemark, and this is it because it's it's um, it's wide. Yeah, and it's big. Yeah, even though it's not huge in the overall 
spectrum of skiing and snowboarding in general. No, right? But it's huge in our lives. Uh, and there, there's no, there's, there, there's this whole thing that's been going lately. Whatever, not lately for a while. That telemark is dead. I'm using quotation marks <laughs> here. It, it's, it's, um, it's total bullshit. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. Everyone who loves telemark will shake their head when you, if you say something like that, because we are all 120 percent into it. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And it's not going to change. No. No, it's not going to change. No. You have, you'll have plenty of people coming from snowboarding to telemark or yeah. skiing to telemark, but not the other way around. No. No. One of my one of my friends, <clears throat> he's a fellow instructor, and uh, the, his electronic signature on his email is uh, Alpine skiers parallel because they must telemark skiers parallel because we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So so Luca so Luca uh, we started like that and then it became a little bit more involved by volume two, and then volume three it really started kicking ass. Oh, good. Know? And we had you know stories from Dick Dorworth, uh, who's a legendary, incredible skier, and then Yvonne Chouinard, you know. Right. And and it was like okay, geez, these guys, you know, these guys are the real deal, you know, to to be able to. For, for them to um, allow us to put their stories in the volume. Right. And, 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 and it's not, um, it's nonprofit. Yep. So far. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Luca and I, and Luca's daughter uh, are the three people doing this. Uh, and we don't make any, so every, all the, all the sales, the money from the sales comes back and we put, we put that back into the next issue. Right. But we hope in the next few that we'll, we'll be able to start paying our writers a bit and the, the yeah. photographers a bit. Right. I hope we're crossing right. to, to be able to do this. Uh, you know, look, it's any kind of uh, print. Uh, you see Potter magazine has gone out of business. Uh, there's print is not uh, so easy. No, <laughs> not an easy business. It never was an easy business, right. okay? Yeah. Even back in its heyday, I don't know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Right. But, uh, especially nowadays. But nowadays, it's it's really like a hard gig, you know? Yeah. And But we, um, it's a niche thing, Telemark, we, but but people love it, you know? Yeah. And people, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. And so this is what we're trying to tap into, and we want to hear everyone's story. So if- We want to hear. Everyone's story. Where do they send, or how do they get in touch with you to send their story? You can send, you send you send the story to me. Okay. Directly on Facebook. Bob. Oh, okay. You got an email. Yeah. No, no. I'm going to tell you right now. Bob at verbier.ch. Um, it's spelled uh, B-O-B at verbier V-E-R-B-I-E-R dot C-H. Cool. And uh, or you can send it to Luca, but I don't have it in front of me. Right. Just send it. Yeah. And 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 I'll send it right to Luca. And then we uh, whatever we st- we edit it, and then we ask for uh, a little bio. Yeah. You know of the author, and then a photo bio, a picture of the author, and then um, and then we um, and some the photos that yeah. we need the photos. You know, good yeah. photos, good quality photos. Right. And what you know, it's cool. We want to keep it going. We want it to snowball. The thing is about uh, Volume 4 is coming up very soon. I'm working on it right now. Uh, as soon as I get off the phone with you, I'm going to be working <laughs> on it. 
off, off these off this podcast. <laughs> it's gonna it's a special edition. It's um uh it's very there's it, all the classic people that you've known over the years, right? And Mark are involved with this one, uh, so I think it's going to be um, pretty special. Nice. And so we're really trying to do a good job with it, Luca and I. Yeah. And Carlotta, Carlotta is Luca's daughter, and and uh, the, the why are we doing this? Because I love Delamar so much. Great Luca, it's his. Yeah. Carlotta is Luca's daughter. We we care so much about it. And and this whole uh, people saying oh Telemark dying you know, stop with that bullshit because it's bullshit right and voila nice. that's it you know and 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 so we uh, want to show our love I guess yes and we can show our love by getting <laughs> getting your journal because it's not a magazine no it's a book it's a proper book yes it is yeah yeah. yeah. Awesome. A lot, a lot so, uh, of hard work goes into it. Are you going to come visit us in Switzerland, Keith? Oh, you got to come, man. Uh, you know what? I hate airports. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Too many people. I think it was my job. You know, being in a classroom, being around many kids all the time, I was like, oh. <laughs> I flew out to visit uh, Free Hill Life in Salt Lake City a few years ago and Excellent. I love those guys. Yeah. And, and I flew out just after Christmas and like every 20 feet, I had to show my passport. And I was like, this is bullshit. And then coming home, I landed and I had to go through customs and it was like 5,000 people. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to drive to Salt Lake city next time. I'm not going to fly. <laughs> so yeah, I, you know what? I, I should probably come you, over. But, my no, wife but, would but love you it. Have, you have a good point because uh, I think in a way, if you can drive, Maybe it's better to just slow sh- stuff down and just drive. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I have I have invitations. I have cousins who live in Germany, and they're buying a place in France. Look, we cross, we cross our fingers. Everything's going to be back to normal. And yes. I said this two years ago, and I'm going to say it again. I hope it's back to normal in two years from now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, it ended up, I don't know, you know, it's just, I hope. Because it sucks, man. The whole yeah. thing with. But anyway, I hope uh, people start doing the right thing, you know. Yep. And uh, why not? You know. Um, so as far as tell, so tell me about your trips. What do you want to do for this season? Uh, what are your? I don't have any trips really. I'm just uh, because my wife gonna... my my wife still works, and we don't have internet access at the cottage. Even though it's a cottage, so, it's like a cabin. So hit Ilo, ski the bumps. What's as that? Much as you can. Oh yeah, I love the bumps. You know, like we talked last week briefly. I'm bigger than Tim Conley, so mm-hmm. you know me and gravity and bumps. <laughs> I I you did, I wait will, wait you you did a podcast with Tim? No no no. But when you and I were talking last week, when you reached oh, out yes, there, yes yes yeah. So but yeah, I just um takes me a little getting used to the bumps again because you know when you're six foot six, you don't have those really fast feet that uh, a more average human would have. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I remember when, we talked about this now, now that you said it. I yeah. When this locomotive gets rolling, you get watch out cause it takes a bit to stop. 
Tim's Tim's pretty big too, huh? Yeah. He's a, he he plows through stuff. Yeah. Even if it's a mogul. Yeah. It, it'll like flatten out. He goes <laughs> Yeah, I, I ski. I broke my hand really badly skiing one year, and uh, so I got a lurk. And my friends who are alpine snowboarders, I'll ski with them, and they like it because I go down the hill first, and I clear everybody out with that lurk, <laughs> and they drop in right behind me, and then they just carve up the hill. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I'm going to uh, wrap this up. Okay. I want to thank we, you. Hey, can yeah. we do another one? Yeah, in we a, can do a part in two. Whatever, for sure. in April or something like that? Yeah, at the end of the season? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I like, this. I like doing part two. Experience. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, there's a guy. Uh, do you know of uh, Jarl Berg? He does the Telemark, Telemark Tips uh, Facebook group or something like that. And he's in mm -hmm. Eugene, Oregon. And so when COVID hit, my buddies and I, we missed the Apres ski stuff. So it's like, okay, so we tried this sort of software and we'd, you know, drink beer, talk about whatever else. And and so Jarl saw, saw that and he goes, hey, can I get in on that? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we call it Gear, Beer, and Anything Weird. And awesome. it's, it's like a big Zoom call. So uh, we're going to try and, because I was wanting to get you in on it, but when we do it at 8 o'clock at night, you're counting Zs. And it's mm. like... So, um, not necessarily. I work at night. So, oh, I might okay. We did have Anthony Hunter from Telemark Australia on it. So, we were drinking beer and he was a badass. And Jarl is my Jarl is the dude, man. Yeah. That guy is dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. Look, think about me. Okay. If you're going to do something like that, okay. Um, I might probably do it because I'm up, uh, up in weird times. Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah. That sounds yeah, awesome. I'm up. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'm glad right, I reached so we're out. We're gonna wrap this up then. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks so much, dude. Keith, you're the man. Oh, thanks. No, no, I no. You're in Switzerland. Nah, you're you're the man. You're the man. I need you in your. I need you to come visit in Switzerland, man. You, uh, show right. you around. Oh, that'd be fun. All right, man. All right. Listen, I'm gonna say goodbye now. Yes, for sure. Till next time. Yeah. April. All right. Yeah, we'll keep in touch on Facebook too. Excellent. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again, Bob. Ciao. Well, there you have it, crew. Episode 21 of the Skippy Report in the books. Huge thank you to Bob Mazzari for agreeing to sit down and do the Skippy Report with me this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed listening to his stories and his backstory of uh, how he's gotten into the ski industry. Uh, I sure have. And I know that he wants to share some more because we're going to have uh, part two in April after the ski season. And if you're a Telemark skier and you feel so inclined to share your stories, write them up, send them off to Bob at bob at verbier, V-E-R-B-I-E-R dot C-H in Switzerland. And uh, maybe you'll get published, man. Anyways, thanks again for choosing to listen to the Skippy Report. And we'll see you on the next one. Be cool.